Um, I'm Jamie Warden. I'm one of the elders here at Mitchell Brian Church. And uh, Pastor John and Pastor Luke are on well-deserved vacations over Thanksgiving to see family. And so when we found out they were both going to be gone today, they looked down the bench, and the third-string guy was sitting at the very end, and they said, you're up, you're up. So here I am, um, and we are going to learn about 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2 today. So if you'd bow your heads and pray with me, please. Father God, your word is um, nothing short of spectacular, Lord, and um, we are so thankful for it. I pray that uh, you would show me the things I should say, um, that you would allow um, Mitchell Brian Church to hear the things they need to hear, and that we would then put those things into action. We thank you for your mercy and for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. To begin with, we're going to talk a little context. It's always important to know the context of the scripture you're reading and talking about uh, before you dive into it. And here we have 2 Timothy, which is um, penned or written by Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is inspired by the Lord through the Holy Spirit with different penmen. Paul penned a lot of the New Testament. Uh, Timothy, who this is written to, 2 Timothy, was actually the recipient of two books. Could you imagine the first one is 1 Timothy, and then we have 2 Timothy here. Paul has written a lot of, um, of, the, of the books of the New Testament, and uh, Timothy started up with Paul somewhere probably later in his um, missions across uh, a lot of Asia and some of um, down by Judea. But anyway, he was probably in his 20s, a real young guy. And Paul brought him along, taught him, led him, kind of to be that next guy in the line of pastors and preachers and to carry on um, the gospel after um, he and some of the original apostles started to, um, to die, to be martyred, really, most of them. At this time, when this letter was written, Paul was in a prison. It was more of a dungeon um, just outside of Rome. And uh, suffice it to say, it was, it was probably worse than you could ever imagine, um, this dungeon that Paul uh, spent the last days of his life in. And he knew um, these were the last days of his life. So as we read this letter, remember... Uh, that Paul is, is kind of pouring out his heart to Timothy on, on what he wants him to know, what he wants him to do, and how he should do that. And Paul was in prison not because he had done anything terrible. Paul was in prison because he was the leader of the Christian group, of who the Romans knew as the Christians. And they were starting to really um, nail down on the Christians, partially because there had been a big fire in Rome. They needed somebody to blame Nero, the emperor, was probably to blame, but he deflected that to the Christians because theirs was one of the only areas in Rome that didn't burn badly, so they were an easy target. Paul was their ringleader. Boom. Paul, you're going to prison. We're going to execute you for starting the fires, or at least your group for starting the fires. So that's kind of the context. Um, first, the first chapter, because we're going to begin in chapter 2, the first chapter of, of 2 Timothy was um, primarily, it's, it's Paul encouraging Timothy to remember who he is, to remember what his faith is, um, to remember what he'd been taught by Paul, and to not be afraid to stand for the gospel, to not be ashamed of Paul, and to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ that he has been um, told to carry on. 
And so that's kind of chapter one in a nutshell was, let's go, Timothy. We've got to be ready to go. Be, be strong in your faith. Don't be ashamed. So chapter two, um, you could go a lot of directions. There's just a, so much in chapter two that we could study. But in the time we have, um, I kind of looked at two specific points that I think are, are really important. And the first is found um, in verse 2, um, as Ken kind of read to you earlier. Uh, the things which have, you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, I'm going to ask you if that reminds you of anything that we've been hearing over the last few months, weeks, um, throughout your time here at Mitchell Berean, that, that phrase, to be able to um, teach others who will teach others who will teach others. That's our church mission statement. We are a church on mission to raise up disciple makers, that's the faithful people, who share, teach with others, the gospel where we live, work, and play. So really, 2 Timothy 2 is very similar to what our mission statement is. So that's the first thing we're going to talk about is that um, sharing the gospel, finding faithful men and women and people. Uh, So then the second half of this is, so what does that person look like? What is a faithful person that is ready to carry out that mission, to share the gospel um, with others? So those are kind of be the um, the two different things that we look at today. Getting back to Paul and, and the urgency of this letter, he writes in, in chapter 4 of this same letter, verse 6, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So Paul knows he's coming to the end of his purpose, of the plan that God has for him is coming to an end. And now he's ready to pass on that torch, and he's looking to pass that on to Timothy. He has invested heavily into Timothy. And now remember, there's no um, New Testament Bibles um, laying around in this day and age. Um, the Old Testament scriptures were not in every other house um, throughout the countryside. This was, these were things that, that needed to be taught um, by the people that have, had walked with Jesus and had lived with Jesus. And now we're getting to that next generation, which is Timothy, on We're investing in you, and you need to be the one that is now being able to share this gospel, this truth, to the next generation. So we'll start now with um, verses 1 and 2. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that it is Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So verse 1 starts off with be strong. And be strong as used here means to keep being empowered. It's a constant state. It's not a one-moment thing where you can get up in front of some people and speak or where you're going to go try to share the gospel with one person. This is a continuing state. But he's not telling uh, Timothy has to do this on his own. He says through the grace that is Christ Jesus. So that is where that continuing strength comes from. And then the word entrust here where he says, entrust these to faithful men, that means to deposit with or to guard. This is something valuable that you are giving to another person that you feel is responsible then to share that with others. And one of the things that um, we're looking at with faithful people, um, we'll go to chapter 1, verse 5. 
I don't think this one's going to be on the screen. It's um, chapter 1 of, of 1 Timothy, verse 5. Um, these are where you find faithful people. He says, For I am mindful, again, Paul talking to Timothy, of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelled in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. So it starts right here, church. It starts here with our kids. Um, what are we teaching them? You grandmothers out there, are you reading Bible stories to your grandkids? Do they know who David and Goliath is? Do they know about Noah and the flood? Um, Daniel and the lion's den? And of course, the most important is Jesus and the resurrection. Um, share those stories with your kids. Have that be your heritage, what you're able to, to, to transfer on to your kids and to your grandkids. And for you parents that are sitting out there, um, it doesn't stop with just telling Bible stories or teaching these little ones um, about the Lord. It also is your walk with your spouses, with your friends, because you are the picture of what a, a biblical marriage is to your kids. They will see the way you treat each other. They will see the way you act with each other, not just during good times, but during hard times. Do you get angry? How do you handle those things? Your kids are watching you. And it's important for us as a church to be able to show them what a marriage looks like because that is what they will take on with their future relationships. Um, and so let's try, to, let's try to teach them well that way. Let's look at Proverbs 22.6. Staying on this topic. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he grows older, he will not abandon it. So that's that same idea of that's how we have faithful people, is we have to teach them when they're young, don't be a hypocrite. Don't use the do as I say, but not as I do. We have to walk the way we want our kids to walk. Um, and that, I think that verse is, or that idea is really well um, put in Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy 11, 18, and 19. For those of you that have your Bibles, and I would love it for everyone here to bring your Bible to church so you can follow along and, and make notes when necessary. Maybe make notes to tell the pastor what he did wrong or the preacher today. I'm no pastor. But um, so Deuteronomy 11, 18, and 19. <clears throat> you shall therefore take these words of mine to heart. And to soul, and you shall tie them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. You shall also teach them to your sons, speaking of them when you are sitting in your house, when you are walking along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. That's all the time, right? That is all the time you are to be sharing with your kids, living the life that Christ wants you to live, and, and telling about them about who he is. If you don't tell him, others are going to. And if it's from our church, I would expect that to be good doctrine, sound doctrine. But sometimes our, our kids learn from other places that isn't um, necessarily what we want them to learn. Okay, continuing this verse, it says, teaching what you have learned. Um, and so teaching what you learned does not mean you have to be a pastor or you have to teach Sunday school or you have to teach a class at, in the church. It means you have to, I like this phrase, it was you have to find somebody that knows less than you and then teach them. And that could be something as small as your testimony, which is not small. 
So you could tell people how you came to Christ, who you were before Jesus, how you learned who Jesus was, and how he saved your life, and what it looks like to repent. If you could share that with somebody that's not a believer, um, that's wonderful. And it may bring them into relationship with Jesus. Now, of course, I would, I would love, and, and we as elders and pastors would love it if you learn more and we're able to get into maybe some of the more meaty parts of Scripture. But don't ever sell yourself short that you're not able to teach others. If you're a believer and you know Christ, you can teach others. So that's our first part of our message. So kind of the second half here is about what it looks like to be a faithful person. In verses 3 through 7, um, Paul talks about the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. See that he may please the one who enlisted, enlisted him, or so that. And if someone likewise competes as an athlete, he is not crowned as victor unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So we start off with the soldier. Not just a soldier, but a good soldier. Good in the Greek means here to be noble, excellent, or heroic. So you're not just some guy that kind of tries to hide in the back. Um, You're not just somebody that tries to stay out of the way. You are a good soldier. And this good soldier, Paul says, will suffer hardship. And that hardship for us as soldiers in the church, for God's army, is not people. Let's go to um, Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, friends, this is not something that you can just do kind of part-time. Paul says you are in the active service. You are active military here. You're not, you get no time off. If you think there's a truce with what we just read from Ephesians 6.12, you think that the spiritual... Um, battle is going to slow down and give you time to rest. Well, it's not. And if you do, you're just standing around ready to be a victim. You've got to be constantly in active service and ready um, to, to, to battle with those forces. Next, Paul tells us that the soldier, the good soldier, does not entangle himself with the affairs of everyday life. Now, I know a lot of you are going to be able to relate to that because what that means is... Um, You don't make yourself too busy to serve. You're not saying, well, I've got to take my kids to practice, and I've got a meeting, and I've got to go to work, and I promised my neighbor I'd take him hunting, and I've got this leak in my, you know, tire of my wife's bike I've got to fix. I'm sorry, I can't serve. You can't get yourself so busy that you have to tell God no. He shouldn't be the last one on your lifts that gets your leftovers. Um, That's not to say you shouldn't coach your kids' sports. I did way too much of that. But um, what it says is do not put God last. And when he says also don't get entangled in the affairs of life, those are also sinful things that can entangle you and separate you from God. And finally, he says um, in in these verses, to please the one who enlisted him. 
And that means you seek to please God, not man. The athlete. The athlete competes to win the prize. So in athletics, generally, you're out there trying to win the game or to win the medal or to win the contest. You're not just wanting the participant ribbon. You want to be the victor. And so here, um, God says it's not always, not necessarily even the most talented or the most gifted person that I am pleased with. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. While you're going to that verse, what God's looking for is our best. And what our best is, is our heart. He doesn't want lip service. He doesn't want um, you to be able to say say his word without believing his word. He wants your heart. So this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be firm, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain with the Lord. So just a little bit of a sidebar. Well, we'll save that for the farmers. It's a better example with the farmers. So the athlete is striving. He's committed and he's set apart and he's focused. He's not distracted by all these other things or he has no chance for the prize. Um, Further, he says you have to compete within the rules. I wonder why why is Paul telling Timothy to compete within the rules? What does that look like? So if you were going to be in the Greek games, there were three things you had to do. You had to, first of all, you had to be a true-born Greek just to get in the door to compete in these games. Number two, you had to stand in front of this statue of Zeus and swear that for the last 10 months, you have been practicing, you have been eating right, you have been working out so you can compete in these games. And the third thing you had to swear, again, in the same place to the same statue, is that you will abide by the rules of your event. So you'll do what you're supposed to do. You won't cheat in your event. So why is is Timothy talking to Paul about these things? Um, Because Timothy's rules were found in God's word, as are ours. He is encouraging Timothy here. You need to know the rules you're living by the rules that you are sharing with these people um, and live by those rules. You have to compete by these rules. But we are not called by God to be rule followers. We are called by God to know him. So when you study God's word and you're learning his rules, that's great. But as you learn these rules, what you're going to do is you're going to get to know God better. You're going to get to know what he loves. You're going to get to know what he hates. And so throughout the term of your life, when you run into problems, when you run into circumstances, you might not be able to quote the exact verse in the exact rule, but you're going to know God hates that, and so you're going to avoid it. Or you're going to know God loves that, and you're going to encourage others to do that thing. And so study God's word, not necessarily to have everything memorized as the do's and don'ts, but so that you get to know God better, to know who he is, to know his character. The third, third one, the farmer. Um, I, love, I love this example. It's the one thing I can't relate much to in real life. I could plant a few potatoes. That's about it. As anybody knows, those are pretty easy thing to plant. Um, but the farmer is, this as used here in the Greek, is the tiller of the ground or all, otherwise also known here as the one that works to exhaustion. That is the farmer. And this metaphor was used for the spiritual farmers in the church that did the hard work, that did the things that nobody else noticed. I got to tell you, I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I've never been to church at 725 until today. 
I was here at 725 for the 8 o'clock service because I thought I was going to help get ready. And I got here, and there were probably 30 people here already. There were people setting up communion. The, the musicians up here, the worship team was practicing and getting ready. We had guys out here scooping the walk, making sure that there was no ice for when, for when y'all came. Um, we had people making sure that my verses were up here when I came to my verses and that their sound systems worked. So in other words, does anybody know? Some of you know who they are. But for most of us, we don't know those people. We don't know them by name. We don't tell them thank you because they're not looking for thanks because they're doing this to serve the Lord. They're doing this because these are some of the gifts they have um, to serve God. And I love this verse. This won't be up on your um, screen. I just, this was an addition since Friday. It's Hebrews 6.10. I'll give you a second to go to that if you have your Bibles. I think this is a perfect um, example of the reward or how God looks at these, um, these people, spiritual farmers. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love that you have shown toward his name in having minister and in still ministering to the saints. So to all you farmers, spiritual farmers out there in the church, thank you. And then verse 7 in this section of scripture says, um, and this is important, it's easy to look it over, but what it says, consider what I say. And I think that's something we can all take to heart as you're, as you're reading scripture. Consider it. Don't just read it. Think about it. What does that really mean? Do you understand it? If you don't understand it, do a little work so you can understand it. Um, really important that we consider God's word. We meditate on it. We talk to our friends about it. Talk to your spouse about it. It's a lot more um, edifying than um, the latest Nebraska football game. Verses 8 through 10. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory." So remember, what what he's telling Timothy here is, don't forget your purpose, Timothy. This isn't so that you could gain position in the church or so that we can have a bigger church with more followers, more recognition. He's saying, remember Jesus Christ who has risen from the dead. That is your reason for doing this. And what a privilege it is to be used by God to bring others, as it says in these verses, to salvation. Okay, let's go to verses 11 through 13. And this is kind of an interesting little section because most of the time in your Bible when it's indented, um, it's usually a reference to the Old Testament, usually when it's in the New Testament. Um, in some way, maybe it's an exact, exact or maybe it's kind of a paraphrase. But right here, it's neither. Um, Paul says this is a trustworthy saying. It was probably a hymn that that early church um, sang. But anyway... First two, first two verses are pretty self-explanatory. He says, It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. 
But this 13th verse had always kind of confused me. Um, I really didn't understand it very well until I spent some, some time um, studying it this last week in preparation for today. So it says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So if we deny him, that word deny means to reject or to denounce. To reject or to to denounce. It's not a small thing. And then if we are faithless, faithless means in a continual sense. In other words, you're in a continual state of unbelief. So you have rejected Christ and you are in a continual state that he is not who he says he is. So Jesus then says he will remain faithful. So how does Jesus remain faithful? What he remains faithful to is his word. And he has told us he is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way and truth and life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. So if you have denounced Jesus, if you have denied him, and that is a continual faithless denial, then you will spend eternity separated from God in hell. That's the truth, and that's what Jesus tells us here. That's why he cannot deny himself. And if we want to look at that just a little closer, in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, I think I left this one out too, so you might have to page to that if you want to read it with me. It's Matthew 32, or I'm sorry, 10, 32 and 33. Therefore, this is Jesus speaking, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Okay, back to 2 Timothy, verse 14 through 19. Remember, excuse me, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to, the, leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the words of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hermanius and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place. That's not the resurrection of Jesus. That is the resurrection of the dead. And they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. So he says, Remind the church, he's telling Timothy, remind believers of these things. So remind them how to be a good soldier, how to be an athlete that follows the rules, and how to be a good spiritual farmer. So he's saying, remind the church of these things. And then he gets into this section, and he says says this two or three times in the first couple chapters, so you know it was really a big deal in the early church. And unfortunately, it's a big deal here in the American church as well. But he talks a lot about false teachers and false doctrines. 
and what can happen with that. And he even names some names. That's the only time these two guys have their names in the Bible. Not a good place to find yourself. But what we got to be looking at as a church, and sometimes it's easy to discern. I mean, sometimes it's real simple. It's so outlandish, you know it's not true. But sometimes these false teachings and these false um, doctrines sound a lot alike, like Christianity. They'll talk about love, peace, forgiveness, um, faithfulness. They'll use the same words we use, but they don't use them in a way that's biblically true, that Jesus oftentimes isn't who he really is. Um, sometimes um, they, just put, they just put things a little out of place. And what's hard, not the, the easy ones that are distinguishable, but it's the ones that are almost right. It's trying to distinguish between things that are right and things that are almost right. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you know your Bible. And again, I'm not telling you you've got to memorize Scripture front to back. Um, but what I'm telling you is that to live in this world with all of the YouTube preaching and all of the stuff you'll see on your Instagram accounts and your Facebooks, to know the difference between what's right and what's almost right, you need to be solid and firm in your faith and solid and firm in your understanding of God's word. Now we do, I'm going to give just a little plug here. The class has already happened today, but we have a class called Pathfinder that's going to be between services. And today was kind of a introductory, so you, you could still come the next three weeks. It's only a four-week class and pick up and be just fine. But that's going to give you some um, direction and help on how to study your Bible, what to look for when you're reading your Bible, how to translate some things, how to put things into context, not use things out of context. So I would really... Um, encourage you to try to get to that class next week. The one couple more things in this little block of scripture. When when Paul tells him that this kind of teaching will spread like gangrene, doesn't sound good, does it? Well it's because it's not. Gangrene at that time was used to just um, as a term to show you that it was a disease that spreads under uncontrollably and it's hard to stop. So that's that is the kind of thing that Paul is warning people about when it comes to false doctrines. And don't get into arguments with people about false religions if it is only for the purpose of winning that argument. Sometimes this is a hard line to know where you are, but what I try to look at is, am I going to argue with this person or get into a debate with this person because I love them and I want to bring them closer to Jesus, or do I just want to prove them that I'm right and they're wrong? Do I want to dazzle them with some facts and some things that I know? If that's the case, then bad motive, don't do it. But if, if, the, if the motive is, I want to bring this person to Christ, I want them to understand who Jesus is, then, then go for it. Even if you're wrong, that's okay. Um, if the motive is right, then God will bless that. For those of you who still like to argue, I'd like you to uh, look at Matthew, verses, Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. It says, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So I'd say that's a pretty good warning and a pretty good reason not to waste your time wrangling and arguing with people for the wrong motive. Okay, our last section here um, is verses 20 through 26. Now in a large house, 
there are not only gold vessels and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, and those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, be able to teach, be patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So there's a lot in those verses, but first thing, let's find out who who all these players are, what these things are. So the house, the large house, is the church. So that's us. So we are that large house. And within that large house are believers. And all of those believers are a kind of vessel. You're either gold, silver, wood, or earthenware. And so... What, what vessels are, I guess for a little better explanation of this, the Greek is used here, a vessel could be really anything in the house. It could be pots and pans and dishes, but it could be a chair, a couch. Um, could be a number of different things used in the home um, to make things work, to make things go. So that's what um, these vessels are. And in verse 21 through 24, he says, Therefore, anyone who cleanses himself of these things... So if you go back to verse 19, these things, he says, everyone who names the Lord, name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. So abstain from wickedness. So if you have abstained from that, um, then you have cleansed yourself from these things. And that also refers to much of the other, um, you know, staying away from these quarrelsome and uh, gangrene type um, philosophies. Um, Then he's going to be able to use you as we'll get to these next portions of the scripture. Um, This is a believer, if he has cleansed himself, can be a vessel for honor, sanctified, set apart, and useful for the master for every good work. And so we've identified who the house is. It's the church. We identified who the vessels are. That's us. And, of course, the master, that's an easy one, right? That's God. So God chooses who he's going to use and how he's going to use them within his church. And one of the ways he chooses them by, is to what their state of their spiritual health is at that moment. And so if you want to be in a position useful to the master for good works, you need to stay away, you can't be tangled up in sin, ashamed of your life, afraid to step out in faith. Um, you can't be that guy. God can't use that person for usefulness within his church You can't be too busy. We talked about that. Don't have time to please God. Don't have time to serve God. Um, And I I want to come back to this again. You also need to know what God says. Um, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Um, He also says, um, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say. So in order to love God, we have to obey him. In order to know him as Lord, we have to be able to do what he says. And how do we know those things if we don't know what he says in his word? You need to read God's word. You need to know God's word so you know who he is. 
so you know who, what he says. Otherwise, you're relying on third party. And third party information or hearsay is not very accurate sometimes. Go to the source. Finally, in verses 24 through 26, um, these are the things, these are the qualities that we as, as vessels to be used by the Lord for every good purpose have. It says to be kind, be able to teach, be patient when wronged. This phrase means be ready to put up with evil, be ready to expect it. Be gentle when you are correcting. This means to have a meek spirit. Not be yelling and demeaning and speaking harshly to people. A meek spirit, I was, had explained to me, first, meekness is when it's um, power restrained. So you're powerful, but you're restraining it. And the picture I saw or was given this week was um, a colt. If you have a colt that is unbroken, it is power unrestrained. It is really powerful, but you can't control it. But if you have a colt that is broken, then it's the same colt the same power, but now it is under the control of the master. And so when we are under control of the master, then we will be power restrained. We will be meek. Finally, God talks about um, being um, brought to repentance by him in this scripture. So it's not you. You don't have to feel the pressure of sharing the gospel and bringing someone to Christ. Your job is just to plant the seeds, right? And, And then let the Lord do as he will. And if that is, in this case, to bring the person to repentance, then he will. Quick little story I want to share with you about um, kind of tying back to the front end of our, of our message today that will also be part of our, our final portion, is when we're talking about giving the gospel or sharing the gospel with people that will teach others, faithful men and women that will teach others the same things. Um, I know it's probably not the best day. It's still kind of a fresh wound for me, but I want to talk a little bit about Husker power. And I'm not a lot of power behind the Huskers right now, but there was a day in the 1980s, there was a coach, his name was Tom Osborne, and Tom walked the sidelines back and forth, um, leading his team to a lot of successful records. And I had the fortune from 84 to 89 to be on that team and on that sideline. And I was no game changer. You're probably not going to see me in any record books that have any significance. But I played about 10 plays a game my last season. And so what my job was, was to follow Coach Osborne. Because back then, we didn't send in all these kinds of signs and fancy things that told the team what to do, when to do it. And that the coaches would had five people. You had dummies. You had real ones. That's not the way it worked back then. We, there were five of us. There, was, there were three receivers. I was one of those. A tight end and a running back. And we would walk with coach up and down the sidelines. And when the play was over, he would look down that line and decide who he's going to put in. He would grab them, and then he'd tell you the play. Be something like this. Double spread, double tight. Wing back motion. Fake 47 counter. Bootleg right. Double slants on three. And then he'd let you go. And then you had to run out into the middle of the field, 47 trap, 47 counter, as fast as you could. And then you got there, and the, and the quarterback would turn to you, and you'd tell the quarterback, here's the play. And then the quarterback, trusting that you're a faithful messenger from the coach, would now tell the huddle, here's the play. 
So then you had nine guys listening to the play that came from the coach, from the messenger, to the quarterback, to the team. And if that message got given appropriately or properly to the team, then the whole team could go out with one message, one job. They all knew what they had to do. And if we all knew what we had to do, and we weren't confused, if I didn't mess it up and, and say bootleg right, and it was supposed to be bootleg left for people to run into each other, if I did it right, then we were pretty successful, unlike today. Um, so we, we, it's all about keeping the, mess, the message on track, sharing it clearly, and not, not feeling like you got to soften the edges or make it more acceptable, but tell the true gospel, the true word of God, and then share that with others who will share it with others. So to conclude, people, what we want to look at is we're looking for faithful men and faithful women here. Um, we want to see our kids raised as faithful people so that we can share God's word with them and then we can send them out and they can share God's word with others, just like we did. Coach Osborne gives the message. The message then goes down the line. If it's done properly, we have success. The same thing we have here. That's our responsibility is to send out faithful people that have a clear understanding of God's gospel so he can spread it uh, for their glory. Okay, if you'd please bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, again, I just thank you for your mercy and your grace for this um, opportunity to share your word with these people. Is um, I'm unworthy of that, but I'm thankful for that. I pray that there are people out there sitting that will take advantage of the opportunities you give them um, to share the gospel with somebody they're having coffee with or sitting in a goose blind with or putting up Christmas decorations, Lord. I pray that we would be faithful people in a faithful church that loves you, that knows your word, and that spreads your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.